And tonight is an even more special opportunity because I think that the message tonight is uh, going to be one of those foundational sermons, um, regardless of how good it may be or how remarkable you may find it uh, or the skill with which I deliver it. Um, I believe tonight's going to be one of those uh, messages that uh, we'll come back to uh, over and over again as, uh, as teaching us something very clear and very powerful. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in John 4. Uh, we'll read verses 46 through 54. We'll read to start off our time together, and then we'll dig into it in a little bit. Um, we'll actually back up and read a few verses from, previous, uh, from the previous study as well. Um, but John 4, verse 46 through 54 is our text tonight. story that you may have heard before. Uh, so Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come, of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him, begged him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see the signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. He himself believed in his whole household. I bet they did. Then again, this is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. This story often gets the short um, uh, straw because it comes right after that long narrative of the Samaritan woman and Jesus at the well. And we often jump right into chapter 5 talking about the next big event. But John denotes this as the second of seven very important signs that he really uh, kind of binds his narrative together and really kind of anchors his narrative uh, in. These seven signs that, according to John solidify and portray that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the one that we have been waiting for. Um, but again, tonight, I believe, is going to be something that really we draw a lot of inspiration from, uh, and I think that it's larger than just this narrative in this text. I believe God is really bringing something big out of this text, uh, at least to me, he did. Uh, the topic, more importantly, the text, just stands out as a reminder of what we truly believe and what we are tasked to spread to the whole world. That word, believe... When we think, when you, when you say, you know, what do we really believe and what do we truly believe? That word believe, that's really what this text and this message is all about. Because as important, almost as important as what we believe, is why we believe. We've got to know our why just as clearly as we must know our what. And you may ask, why? Why is it important that we have the why explained and detailed as much as we have the what. Isn't the what the most important thing? And of course, it is very important to know what we believe, but why do we believe this and that? The why is important, essential, because it is the influence, it shapes, it patterns how we communicate and convey our faith. So we're dealing with three uh, different, different things here. We're dealing with the what, the why, and the how. What we believe we have to have why. We need to know why we believe what, right? But also it influences how the way that we demonstrate, the way that we explain, the way we communicate, the way we evangelize the what. Now we studied last week 
that we must consider and take serious how we communicate our faith. We have an obligation to figure out the how. We must get the how right. We can't ignore it and act like it is not important. If you'll remember back in chapter 4, you can look, look there if you'd like, but remember the conversation Jesus had with his disciples right after the, the Samaritan woman encounter. Um, they wonder what he was doing talking to this woman. Jesus, uh, they, they bring him food, and they say, Hey, Jesus, we've got you. we went down and brought you some food. Um, we, you know, are you, will you please eat? And Jesus says, Hey, I've got bigger fish to fry. I've got other food to eat. And they're thinking, Hey, you know, we didn't see you eat other food. And they take that the completely wrong way. And Jesus says, no, 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 guys, you don't understand. My passion, my hunger is to do what God has sent me to do to finish His work. He says, look at the, the, the harvest. See, lift up your eyes. They are white and ready to be reaped. You must enter into these fields. You must take this what to the whole world. He says, guys, I know it's fun to just sit around with our own little group and kind of be in our own little circle. We're all friends and we all get along and we all like each other and we all know each other, but there's a world out there that does not know what we know and we must take this message to everybody. If you want to know why I was in Samaria, why I was talking to this Samaritan woman, and why I broke all the rules according to Jewish custom and Samaritan customs, you want to know why I've been up here talking to this woman while y'all were out playing around and, and shopping in the stores and, and, and out to eat. I've been up here doing this job because this is what drives me. This is what wakes me up every day. This is why I came to earth because there is a world that is hungry and a world that is in need to hear the good news from God and He has sent me to demonstrate this good news, and he sent y'all to communicate that good news to everybody. Jesus focuses the hearts of his followers on the world that they've been sent to reach. He says you must be bright and be winsome and be missional. And you remember, and don't ever forget this, we are in between people and Jesus. And may we never get in the way, right? of people in Jesus. But we are the way that God chooses. We are God's preferred choice at sending the message. And know this, we are the closest some people will ever get to God. That could be scary for some people, and for you maybe. We are the closest some people will ever get to God. And the church is the closest some people will ever get to heaven. That should wake us up and take even more serious what we have been called to do and who we have been called to be. So we see that we can't ignore the how. Can we? Jesus told the Samaritan woman that what most often becomes the subject of religious debate ought to subside in light of what matters most. Who Jesus is and what does that mean for us? But the how isn't just concerned with the what. It takes serious thought with the why. Why do we believe what we believe? Why should they believe what we believe? Because a credible, trustworthy why is important in expressing our faith. And you may disagree with this statement at first, but I think I can talk you into it. I believe God will talk us into it, more importantly. What we believe and how we communicate it will only be as reliable as our why. Again, what we believe and how we communicate it will only be as reliable. I'm not saying it's not true regardless. God is God and Jesus is Messiah and He did what He did whether nobody hears it or not. But what we believe and how we communicate it will only be as reliable. It will only be taken as serious. It will only be effective if we have the why figured out. Now, some of you may, may push back. 
Some of you may push back and say, well, wait, it doesn't, why? I don't, I don't need to have a why. I mean, what is what matters most? Jesus is God. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. What is the most important thing? I don't need to have a, a reason or an explanation. I don't need to have a, have a why when people ask me or people you know, question me. Let me ask you this, though. Did the original disciples disregard the why altogether? Did they just blindly promote that Jesus was Lord? And the answer is a resounding no. And take it from Peter. He was closer to Jesus than anybody. He was closer to this movement than anybody. He says we must be ready at all times to give our why. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, be always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Do so with gentleness and respect. So what does Peter say? Always be ready to give the why. It's not enough just to say, well, this is what I believe. You better like it or you better repent or it's over for you. It's not enough. It's not acceptable to just hold your sign up and hold your sticker up and hold your flag up and hold your shirt up and say, hey, this is what I believe. You should believe it too. God says, that's not how I want to reach the world. And I'm not saying that what you're saying isn't true. I know it's true. I'm the one that did it. But that's not how I want you to communicate for me. That's not what, the way I want you to reach people. If you want to hear John, the guy we were reading the book from, John's own words as he makes his case for Christianity, listen to his whys. Listen very particularly, and I've highlighted them, how John describes his faith to the world. That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the words of life. What is John trying to get, up, get across here? Hey guys, you know why you should take me serious? I've seen it. I've heard it, I've handled it, I've been there, I got the t-shirt, had a front row ticket, I'm writing the book about it. So you tell me John's not worried about the why? Absolutely he is. He repeats himself in verse 2. The life was made manifest, we have seen it, testified to it, we proclaim to you the eternal life which was, made with, the, which was with the Father and was made manifest, it was made clear to who? To us, to the disciples. And he again says in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. So what is John basing his entire case for Christianity on? We've seen it. We've heard it. We've lived it. We're writing about it. You should trust us. More importantly, you should trust the Jesus we're telling you about. So clearly, John cares about the why. You read all through Acts. They talked about what they had seen and heard, emphasizing the resurrection of the dead, resurrection of Jesus, as the reason they trusted Him as Lord and as Savior. Here's why I bring all this up, besides the fact that Peter and John bring it up. Our message to the world, God's message to the world, God's message to us has never been just believe or just take it by faith. That has never been and will never be God's message to the world. Just believe. I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to tell you what's going on. I'm not going to give you any details. Any God's message to the world about Jesus and about what Jesus did has never been just believe or just Take it by faith. Now, you've heard it that way. You've been taught that way, but you don't even believe that. And I, I'll, I'll convince you that you don't believe it that it's that way. You know how I know that you agree with or believe that that is not the case? 
Because what did you bring in here with you tonight? What are you holding in your lap? Or looking at on your phone or however you look at it. A Bible, right? The Bible, right? You're holding in your hands a compilation, a book that you believe communicates some sort of truth to you. Now listen, I'm not endorsing that you idolize something that's leather-bound with pages in it. But we believe, you believe, the Bible, we believe the Bible is God's Word, right? But maybe more importantly, and more effectively, we believe the Bible is God's Word through, very important, the Bible did not just fall out of heaven. It's not just something that God had on a shelf one day and He said, I'm going to send this on down, right? The Bible is God's Word through Moses, through Joshua, through Samuel, through Jeremiah, through Ezra, through David, through Solomon, as in they lived it and they wrote it, right? As important as the wrote it part is the lived it part. The Bible is God's Word through Matthew, through Mark, through Luke, through John, through Paul, through Peter, through James, through Jude. Again, it didn't just fall out of heaven. It's a compilation of documents, historical accounts, letters, sermons, poems from eyewitnesses to God's activity through ancient Israel and through the early church. Our why isn't because of faith. It's by faith in. See how important that is? We draw inspiration from, we draw information from what happened and what was written about what happened. It's not just by faith in whatever. It's by faith in what God has done. Our source, our proof, our why is God's Word. And so important because it influences our how. And if you want to know why I communicate the way I communicate, if you want to know why I believe in doing church the way I believe in doing church, it's clearly been defined the last five minutes. And this is so important. We don't have to. Some might try. Some might think it's important. We don't have to. The church doesn't perform so as to prove to anyone that God is real. We proclaim so as to point to everyone that God is real. Now, it's very important that we don't confuse the two. This has not been and never will be a human effort or initiative. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, Paul says, loud and clear, for what we proclaim is not of ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with our saves as your servants for Jesus' sake. That's the model for what we do. We don't proclaim what we have done or what we can do or what you might can experience with us. We proclaim what God has done through Jesus Christ. Because that's the only thing that will make a difference. We are building, we are at the mercy of God's Spirit when it comes to every angle and aspect of God's house that He is building. Psalm 127, an ancient prophecy, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor build it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. What is the message in that prophecy? Yes, we preach. Yes, we sing. Yes, we work. Yes, we give. Yes, we contribute. But, and there's so much room to labor, but we lift up Jesus and His story as it is revealed in God's Word. Because if God doesn't do the work, we are out to lunch. And it's God's work that has given us this confidence. And that will, that's what makes a difference. 
I have nothing new to add. And whatever I have to add will not make a difference. Ephesians 2 gives us this confidence, speaking to every generation of Christians. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's New Testament and Old Testament. Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, right? Foundation being what is laid, uh, you know, the cornerstone being what sets the markers for the house, the foundation being what gives the base for the house to build on from that point. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God. Who's it for? It's for God. Who's building God. So as we've been called to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Jesus to bring to light everyone what is the plan, his mystery hidden for all the ages, the God who created all things, we are at the mercy and are you know, calling for the Spirit of God to work through what he's done and what you proclaim. The Spirit of God demonstrates his power through our proclamation, not in our performance, but in God's performance. And God's performance is written for us, cover to cover, anchored in, centered around the cross and resurrection of Jesus. So I wanted to talk about that for a few minutes up front because we, or because may we never confuse by faith in with because of faith. Our faith is anchored in Jesus and God's word. And that doesn't make it any less of a leap to believe. Now, when somebody like me stands in front of people like you or people stand in front of a camera and says, you just got to believe. You got to jump out and believe and just trust in you and just don't, you don't even know what's going to happen. Without giving you the why, the why is Jesus, the why is what God has done. If anything, this doesn't make it less of a leap, it makes it a greater one because we aren't just leaping into something that might catch us. We are leaning into someone who will catch us and what makes this a greater, more daunting task is that we have to be all in. We have to be 100% down for this to work. If we hedge our bets, if we straddle the fence, we will always wonder, was there more there than I was willing to trust in? Because if you go about, I've got faith in Jesus, but I've got faith in me too. I've got faith in Jesus, but I've got faith in America. I've got faith in Jesus, but I've got faith in this and that. I've got faith in him and her. If we go about life straddling the fence, I've got some faith in Jesus and some faith in this and that. If you straddle the fence, if you hedge your bets, you'll always wonder, was there more there for me that I wasn't willing to put my weight on? In John 4, 46 and 54, we have read this account that John anchors as one of the big seven signs, big seven events in his gospel that he uses to prop up that Jesus is Messiah. And this is perhaps the most relatable episode of them all. As a Jewish official, probably a Jewish leader or elder on one of the councils, comes to Jesus asking for help. In John 4, verse 46, we read, it says that Jesus came to Cana of Galilee. Last time he was there, he did something pretty incredible, right? The, wet, the miracle of the wine from the water. It says that he made... Again, he came to Cana of Galilee, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. John is building his case. He will continue to lean on these signs as proof of who Jesus is. And remember, at the end of John's gospel, John, has, John will tell us this, but we've already read the back of the book, so we know what he's really getting at. John has told us, Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are written in this book, but 
these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Now notice what John doesn't say. These are written so that you can expect your own sort of miracles and circumstances in your own life. He says, that's not why I'm writing this. You might experience, God's a miracle worker, you might experience something like this, and even greater, I don't know, but that's not why I'm writing this. These are written so that you can put your confidence in Jesus as the Messiah, as the one in whom eternal life is. John, that's pretty confident that you're saying your seven signs are enough for me to believe. John's thinking, hey, you can believe me, you can not believe me, but at least I'm giving you a why. Take this to the bank, guys. 2,000 years later, maybe you'll still be talking about it. I've written all this down so that you may anchor your faith in Jesus as God's Son, God's Messiah, the Savior for the world, your generation, my generation, any in between. I have written these things so that you might believe, trust in, depend on, anchor your faith in what God has done. Now back on the royal official. Verse 47 says, this guy heard that Jesus had come to, out of Judea into Galilee. He went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son. He was at the point of death. A lot going on here. Now, this royal official, um, he would have been a Jewish official, official a Jewish aristocrat. Um, he was in Capernaum. When he heard Jesus was in Cana, this would have been an eight-hour walk. But since he was a wealthy man, probably, it was about a three-hour ride. Three-hour ride. Now, on top of that, he was most likely a Sadducee. Now, Sadducees were the opposite of Pharisees. They, were, they worked together to lead the nation, but they were opposite in their beliefs. Now, Pharisees, we pick on the Pharisees a lot because the, the, they were always buttonheads with Jesus. But the reason why the Pharisees and Jesus didn't get along as much as they didn't is because they really believed the same thing. Jesus just took it to the logical next step. He said, hey, I'm the Messiah that you're waiting for. Now, we talked about that with Nicodemus. The Pharisees believed that God was indeed involved in the avenues in the, in, in, the, in the everyday aspects of life. The Pharisees believed that there was an afterlife, there was a resurrection. The Pharisees believed that God was sending a Messiah. The Pharisees believed that God was a, a God who wanted to, to see your life change for the better and, and to work in your life in and around your everyday activities. The Pharisees were so close to being Christians, um, and many did indeed become Christians once Jesus came. But the Sadducees, they were the exact opposite. The Sadducees were a very intellectual group of people. They were very fatalistic, as in they believed that God had a predetermined will, that you live for the pleasure of God, and then you died. Everything was predetermined. Everything was predestined. That you just accepted what God gave you, and one day you would shut your eyes, you would cease to exist, and somebody else would get to live out God's dream. They didn't pray. Why would you pray? God had a will made up. They didn't expect things to change because God had a will, and it was already determined. So why expect or try to change and here you have most likely a sadducee coming to jesus what does it say imploring begging for him to heal his son funny how he changed whenever he had someone that he loved so much in need that can get any of us to come off of our stubborn beliefs won't it he traveled a long way, leaving his dying son. Now, can you imagine that? His son is about to die. Any minute, his son could breathe his last breath. And he, this man decides to travel at least three hours, maybe more, at least three hours to go and see Jesus. Now, he could have sent a messenger. He had the money. He could have hired someone, an entourage, to go and send for Jesus. He could have had an entourage go, at, go down and take Jesus captive, right? But no, he goes personally when his son is breathing 
every breath could be his last, he goes to find Jesus personally. He must have heard a lot about Jesus. He says, guys, I've got to go. And I, I, Can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine the emotion? He and his wife sitting beside the bed with their son, and he's heard about Jesus, and she's thinking, you mean you're going to leave? I mean, he, our son could die at any minute, and you know, you've always told us that God has a will, and God's will is stuck in stone, and God's will is going to happen, and we have no choice in the matter. It's just going to happen, and it's breaking my heart, but this must be God's will. And this man looked at his wife and looked at his son. I am going to see Jesus. I might not make it back. But I've heard too much about Jesus to not take this chance. Isn't that amazing? We know so much about Jesus and we don't even budge. And this man heard a little bit about Jesus. And he traveled all day just to see if Jesus would take him serious. This man being fatalistic and accepting what happens as God will, here he enters a conversation with God. This might have been the first prayer he ever prayed. He didn't know Jesus was God. He just knew he was a miracle worker, right? He didn't know who Jesus was you know, eternally. He has a conversation with God in flesh. Please, I implore you. The Greek, literally, he is nagging. He is begging. He will not stop talking. Please come with me to heal my son. And in verse 48, Jesus confirms the why was needed to validate and establish his ministry. Verse 48, he says, unless you see those signs and wonders. He's talking to this generation. He's talking to John's audience. Guys, I'm proving to y'all who I am. Winking all the way through the generations that would read this book. If y'all want the proof, it's about to happen. He's saying this because this would end up being one of the big moments in his ministry that would prop him up. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we're talking about it. Pretty, one, pretty wonderful, right? Verse 49, this man lays it all on the line, all on the table. Sir, come down before my child dies. But I, don't, you know, I know you don't know me, and I know my credibility doesn't mean anything to you, but Jesus, you've got to come with me to my house. And if you come to me, my son will be fine. I have no doubts you are the one that can help him. This is why I left my son. I've heard rumors. I've heard whispers. I've heard the reports that the Son of Man is in our midst. I've heard the rumors. I've heard the whispers. The Word of God. The favor from God. The Lamb of God. The new platform. The new wine. I've heard that God has made Himself known. And you, no doubt, undeniably are Him. And Jesus responds, his response is he asked this man to trust him based on the testimony of others and entrust his son to him based on the stories told about him. Verse 50, Jesus says, go your way. Your son lives. Go on. And literally, it's almost like he's shooting him away. Go, go, go. Just go. I'm not moving. But you have nothing to worry about, sir. And this is where I mean, imagine what it was like for this man. I mean, no joke, if he goes home and faces his wife, there might be two deaths. I mean, maybe we take Jesus by force. I mean, he could have ordered Jesus to come with him. Hey, you're coming with me whether you like it or not. My son's life is on the line. I mean, you want me to go home empty-handed? And here's the thing, this is where so many of us live every single day. 
God, you want me to just walk away with nothing? You want me to just go home empty-handed? God, have you been hearing me? Have you been listening to me? God, I have been praying and depending on you, and you're giving me nothing. All you ever say is just believe, just have faith, go your way, it'll be fine. God, I'm waiting, I'm begging, I'm imploring, and nothing is changing. This is where we live, isn't it? This is how the story is not some random happenstance. It's divine. It's our lifetimes reduced to a day. We've all been there. And we are asked, we are asked to take Jesus at His Word based on the Word of others. Right? Jesus says, go. He'll be fine. Haven't you heard enough about me to believe so? So what is Jesus asking this man to do? Go and trust it will be okay based on what you've heard. And what are we asked to do? Trust Jesus at His Word based on what somebody else said. We're asked to trust Jesus based on the Word of people who knew Him and wrote about Him. But isn't that what draws us in? Isn't that what compels us and, and, and just and attracts us? But he says, go about our day. Go about our days with prayers unanswered, lives unchanged, confident that we can trust Jesus. But your prayers might not get answered and your lives might not change, but you can be confident that Jesus is Lord. And even if we carry our burdens and our sicknesses and our problems at home and they don't get any better, we can possess this peace and this confidence in spite of those things. Come on, when you follow Jesus, even with unanswered prayers, burdens, do you know what message you're sending to people around you? When you choose to believe whenever you might not have enough reasons to? When you choose to believe based on what you've read and what you've heard and what you've been told and the confidence that you can have in their reports, when you choose to believe that Jesus is who He says He was and you can trust Him and He'll take it to the bank, when you choose to believe that, do you know how many people are watching you? No, you don't. But they are. And when you lift your head up, even though you've got a bad report, when you smile, even though you've got plenty of reasons to frown, when you say, I still believe, when you've got a lot of reasons to not believe, when you lift up your voice at church and sing out, even when you've got nothing to sing about, when you let the world know that you trust Jesus, even though, even though it doesn't look pretty for you. And why are you doing it? Not because it's all been proven to you, because you have chosen to believe what God has said, and you've chosen that Jesus can be trusted. He is trustworthy. In verse number 50, he says, Go your way, your son lives. And what does it say? The man believed the Word. He believed the Word. And he went his way. Can you imagine? He believed Jesus' Word and he behaved as if the Word would be proven true. But he had no guarantees. So it's almost as if he walked home by faith, not by sight. Can you imagine how nervous he was? Jesus, I guess you're not coming with me. But I still believe you are who I've heard you are. 
I, I could walk away, swear you off, and say you're a liar and you're a fake and you're a phony and you just misled me. I could walk away and say, man, that guy's crazy. That guy's just a, you know, is a shyster. I, I could walk away and just disbelieve in you, but I'm going to walk away and I know you are still the God I heard you were about. I know you are still that God and I know I haven't seen it yet. I'm walking away believing that one day I will. And if I never see it, you've given me enough of a reason already and I can't say no. See how, see how crazy this was? That this man would walk away by faith, not by sight, not by feelings? Can you imagine? Can you believe it? Would you have done that? The man had no guarantees. He walked away from the only hope, the only way, the only healing, and he walked home. And, but he did not walk away hopeless. He walked home as if, as if, as if what Jesus said would be proven true. Living as if, walking by faith, it's easy to sing about, it's hard to live out. But verse 51 says, As he was going now, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. And you know how I know the man wasn't just laughing and boasting and acting as if, Oh yeah, I knew it. All I had to do was say, hey, All I had to do was say, you know, I believe. The man, I think he was like, what, what, what? When, when, when did his temperature, when did his fever, when did he get up, when did all this change? And the guy was like, well, yeah, it's 7 o'clock. And the man starts thinking. That was exactly when I walked away. I didn't know for sure it would happen. But I never doubted Jesus could do it. Living every day of your life as if Jesus is the Messiah, as if Jesus is who He claimed to be, as if Jesus said what He said was true, that God is our Heavenly Father, even when things aren't like you wish they would be, is a difficult thing to do. Living as if, in spite of as is. That's where we're at, church. That's where we live our days. Living as if, despite as everything is. That's how and when our testimony is the strongest and most powerful, most demonstrative of God's power, what changed the world wasn't a group of first century believers who never had any trouble or always got their prayers answered. It was a group that realized their purpose in their future and they were determined to be a vessel that communicated the hope of Jesus no matter what. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, We are always a good courage, not because we don't have problems, because we do have problems. We know that while we are home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We don't always see things better, but we believe things will be better. We know we're made for another world. We're made for a better kingdom that's going to come one day. But until it does come, we have good courage. We don't give up. Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. We would love for things to be perfect and things for, to be better and all prayers to be answered and all lives to be changed, but that's not reality right now. But until it becomes a reality, we strive to please Him every single day because He is worthy. We believe what we've heard about this Jesus. Living as if. Walking by faith. That's how we change the world. That's how our worlds can be and will be changed. Living as if, in spite of, as is. 
Let me pray for you. Father, I love you. I'm thankful for this story. Lord, it's so many of our stories. So many of us live waiting for that prayer to be answered, waiting for that season to change for the better. And maybe it never will. But God, we've heard enough about you. We've heard a lot about you. And we choose to believe that we, what we've heard is true. We know you don't need our validation. You don't need our confirmation. You don't need anything from us, God. But we know that what you did and who you've made yourself known to be was for us. All for us. So Father, help us to have the faith like this man who walked away from his only help but not disbelieving that you could help him no matter what. Living as if, in spite of as is. Walking by faith and not by sight. Father, I pray you would encourage that one tonight that's got unanswered prayers, that one tonight that's got an unchanged life, maybe someone they live with, someone that they love, maybe their own heart. I don't know what everybody's going through, but God, encourage that one that's holding on to hope and holding on to faith and living as if, walking by faith. And maybe it will get better for them, maybe it won't, but we look for that day and that coming when all things we've made new because we believe that is what we've been made for and that is where we're headed. So in the meantime, Lord, we strive and we aim to please you. And the only way to please you is to walk by faith and not by sight. And even if, even if it doesn't always get better for us, we hold our heads up high and we walk away like that nobleman with a smile on our face saying, I still believe. I still believe. Father, thank you for the miracle you performed on that young man's life that his story is known for ages and ages. And I pray that you would make those same stories known in our own lives that we might could say, like this man said, I never doubted. I never will. We ask all this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.